Sign up for the newsletter so you never miss an update. Download our app in iTunes and the Google Play Store. Welcome to the podcast. Has there ever been a year we're more excited for the holidays? Don't wait until the last minute, guys. Plan ahead and surprise her with something unexpected. Imagine her face when you hand her a Shane Company box tied with a burgundy bow. Does she already have a pair of stud earrings from Shane Company? Diamond, ruby, or sapphire? Trade them in for a larger size and only pay the difference from what you originally paid. Or maybe you got her engagement ring when you were young and just starting out. How about surprising her with a larger diamond? Or perhaps an exciting new diamond shape? You can upgrade her engagement ring at any time, and you'll get full credit for your original centerstone. Just pay the difference. Shane Company has the best upgrade policy in the business. If you're not sure where to start, make an appointment and we'll help you out. Surprise her with an upgrade this holiday and leave her speechless. Now you have a friend in the jewelry business. Shane Company and Shaneco.com. I always thought owning a vacation home was hard work, from finding guests to just maintaining it. But with Vacasa, they put my vacation home to work for me, caring deeply for my home in every way. Best of all, since switching from my last property manager, Vacasa has been earning us over 20% more. Because it's not just a vacation home, it's a Vacasa home. Get your free vacation income estimate to see how much your vacation home can earn you. Call 470-900-4828 or visit vacasa.com slash free dash estimate. All right, so here we are. Um, I'm with my friend Max Hamelstein. Max is the founder and CEO and the guy behind Trap Mike's Late Night Food Market in Bloomington. So, uh, when I get started first, Max, do you just want to take some time and introduce yourself a little bit and, yeah. and you know, where you're from, what you're about? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and thanks for having me on today. I, I appreciate it. Um, excited to talk about Trap Mics and, you know, how we started, um, you know, and where we are today and, you know, why that's so. Um, but basically, yeah, I'm Max Himmelstein. Um, I'm from Indianapolis. So went to Carmel High School. Um you know, I'm happy to be from there, uh, despite what other people uh, might say about it. Um, but yeah, um, with my friend Misha, we grew up together in Carmel. Uh, we started Trap Mics together, and yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, perfect. Well, um, where I'd like to start, you know, before we even think about Trap Mics and, and, and talk a little bit about what that looked like, you know, I just want to know like what you were like growing up and, and maybe what might have led you to do something like this. So said you're from Carmel. Are you grew up your whole life in Carmel through all like the whole Carmel Clay school system or did you? uh, Yeah. yeah. So I was born in Indianapolis, lived there for two years. So I am allowed to say I'm from Indianapolis. Um, But yeah, um, went to Carmel, um, went through the school system there. And basically, I mean, that definitely did shape um, like who I am today and sort of like my work ethic and you know, why I decided to do um, the things that I did. Um, had a great group of friends um, throughout my life growing up. Um, most of them go to IU. Um, and they, you know, are also part of the reason that 
everything happened the way it did, um, as well as my family. Um, I like to joke like that I was brainwashed to go to IU because I pretty much was. Uh, like my grandpa went to IU, my dad, all my cousins. Um, so I was down here in Bloomington a lot growing up, just going to football games and basketball games, tailgating. Um, so I really got to grow up like within the culture of Indiana. Um, and that, you know, exactly like contributed uh, to where I am now. Yeah, that's awesome. So you're growing up in Carmel, like obviously you played lacrosse, I know, pretty social guy, involved in some things. Um, but did you do anything like specific as it like concerned, you know, entrepreneurship or working or were you around, you know, food maybe when you were growing up? Yeah. So, I mean, well, that's an important thing to know about me. Uh, my favorite hobby probably is eating. Um, <laughs> so like that was always like, um, you know, something I was interested in, I guess. Um but specifically, I remember being in third grade, I was visiting my cousin at the time um, who went to IU and we went to Butch's for lunch. And like I had a sandwich with mozzarella sticks on it. Um, I forget which one it was, I mean, at this point now, but I remember that like pretty much changing my life. Um, <laughs> and I was like, you know, I think at the back of my mind, like I always wanted to do some sort of food idea. Um, because also being from Indiana, like everyone knows who Mark Cuban is, um, how he started a bar at IU. That was always something I was aware of. And he went on, obviously, to become Mark Cuban <laughs> on Shark Tank. Um, that was like something I watched a lot growing up. Um, so I think subconsciously in the back of my mind, that was always sort of something, you know, I was thinking about, you know, what cool restaurant idea um, could we do? And, you know, even throughout, like, my time in, like, middle school and high school, like, I was trying to come up with, like, different ideas and stuff that it was sort of more of a joke at a time. Didn't think I would ever start a restaurant, yeah. you know, when I was, like, 19 years old. But still, it was something that I was always interested in. Yeah. So you're growing up and you're always thinking, like, potentially, like, what could I do with this? What could I, like, so you think you were, like, in the back of your head always kind of having little, like, entrepreneurial, like, oh, maybe like this could work as a company or this could work as a restaurant, stuff like that. Yeah, like the first idea I ever had was, I was probably in elementary school still, maybe like early middle school, but it was like a hamburger restaurant with my friend Max Hurwitz, who um, was also um, helped start the original Trap Mike's idea as well. But basically it was sort of just like Subway, but for burgers, you yeah. make them live, you can customize them however you want. Because that was always something I was interested in, sort of because of butches and, like, those, like, sort of outrageous combinations. Like, I always wanted to be able to combine that into whatever product we were putting forward. Yeah. And That's a really good idea. Yeah. Like a Subway for burgers. That would totally, you could make, like, barbecue burgers. You could make, like, yeah, that's a really good idea, actually. And, like, that, and it was always, like, um, something that we wanted to be, or at least me, like, to be creative and to stick, like, in people's minds. So, like. You know, both of our names are Max, like we're doing burgers to the Max or, you know, something like yeah. that um, or where, um, you know, we wanted it to be memorable um, because of like going back um, to growing up, you know, in Indiana, going to IU, um, you know, I always understood Butch's, you know, Mother Bears, Kilroy's, like people talk about those places, Nick's, like you see them in like the different pictures too of IU, like the caricatures. Like, yeah. I'm just thinking of one like picture specifically I can see with like going down Kirkwood and like all the different, you know, restaurants and bars, you know, people affiliate with the school. Yeah. 
and that was always something I wanted to be a part of just because, you know, I care about IU and, you know, enjoyed being able to experience it growing up. Yeah, totally. So kind of going away from that a little bit, I know um, you had experience working at Jersey Mike's in high school. So is this your first time like working directly in the food industry? And if so, kind of what was that experience like? So before Jersey Mike's, my first experience in the food industry was working at Joe's Butcher Shop um, in downtown Carmel. And that I got that job because at the beginning of my junior year of high school, um, well, my junior senior year of high school, I took a course called IB Business, um, which was a great course. And really, I developed a lot of you know, basic business knowledge, um, you know, where like and Kelly and the prerequisites before I-Corps where you're learning that stuff. Um, I got a really good foundation of that in high school. So that helped me. But we were doing a project at the beginning of my junior year where we had to, you know, do it about a local business and what Mm -hmm. they were about. And I did Joe's Butcher Shop, really, you know, liked (laughs) what they were doing there. Like I said, like, I was interested in food. I was like, oh, I I love working at a butcher shop. That'd be great. Um, So I did that for a while. But then starting my senior year, a bunch of my friends were working at Jersey Mike's. Um, You know, like I talked about before, my friend Max Hurwitz, Misha was working at Jersey Mike's and to like five other people while working there. So I was like, all right, like, I'll get a job at Jersey Mike's. Like, this sounds great. Um, So I worked, got a job there starting my senior year. And that's really like when I started to begin that basic understanding of just how a kitchen operates. Yeah. you know, opening procedures, closing procedures, just things behind the scenes that obviously the customer doesn't see and isn't aware of. Um, but by no means was like I an expert of, yeah. about what was going on. Like I was a shift lead, like whatever, but I wasn't an assistant manager or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but I certainly got like a basic foundation from there. Um, but along with that, um, my senior year of high school now, I'm still doing IB business. Um, and sort of through IB business, uh, Carmel like connects that with DECA, which is a business club um, that people participate in around the country and in other countries as well. Um, our project for that, um, we decided to do Jersey Mike's. It was me, yeah. Misha, and Max Hurwitz, who all worked at Jersey Mike's too. We're all friends, like growing up our whole lives. And so, like, sort of that experience that year of working within the Jersey Mike's kitchen while writing a franchise business plan for Jersey Mike's yeah. to expand to Texas A&M, which is obviously a college town. Um, those, um, you know, experiences, you know, helped me, again, to, like, to develop sort of a basic understanding of, like... What would this actually look like? Yeah. Well, yeah that makes sense. Okay, so then when you're doing that business plan, is it just you're just researching like case studies, like what's worked before, what's failed. Like what were you like Yeah. kind of looking into to determine how to open up a food restaurant at a college town, even before you were a college student? Yeah. So certainly looked at like other projects um, people had done just for inspiration and, you know, creative inspiration as well as just like how to put together a business plan. Um, so we utilize, you know, other people we respected um, as well, like different peers that have gone through it before, but you know, it also taught us to reach out to, you know, different people um, to get information to help us put things together that, you know, not only that we cared about, but they would be interested in yeah. helping us as well. So, you know, we talked to different people in the Jersey Mike's um, headquarters um, to ask them information about, you know, startup costs, about how many, how much sales they 
you know, receive at different types of stores um, and things like that, along with doing our own research as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we we did our due diligence, of course. But, you know, the main part of that, too, is just it helps you think of all different areas yeah. uh, as well. Like the marketing plan is obviously like the most important part, at least for like DECA. Yeah. At least like <laughs> it really is just like a show show competition yeah. or whatever. So taught us to be creative in that regard just because we knew going in like jersey mics at texas a&m like to a judge that doesn't you know objectively doesn't know us or anything about these companies like we didn't think it would sound as impressive as other people going in with like you know big um important sounding named companies yeah. or whatever and like non-food industries so we like came up with a lot of you know original ideas like that weren't from jersey mics on how to you know promote them and so on um and i think that's what allowed us um yeah i would say you you guys killed it you got fourth in the in the world yes fourth place in the world right with this business plan yeah so we ended up uh, going to the state competition first and one first in indiana which allowed us to go to the international competition and you know, really, I like to say we won first place in the country as well because the three groups that came in front of us were all from Ontario. Wow, um, so that's insane. I think it might have um, been <laughs> a little rigged, but, um, you know. Yeah, that's crazy. So you guys walked away when you are like 18 years old at this point, right? Yeah. The most, at least you and your friends, were the best team in the country as it concerned opening up a restaurant, the hypothetical of opening up a restaurant at a college town. And then you come to IU and... You're just like, let me be a student now? I mean, what was your first year like at IU? So, obviously, like, our first year was interesting because that was the year that was cut short for COVID. Yeah. Um, But basically, you know, my first semester, um, I was uh, pledging or, I guess, I was a part of AEPI doing things with that. Um, And that that was really important, too, because I honestly think pledgeship is something that um everyone should go through um or maybe not everyone but it's an important thing for people to go through just because it teaches you accountability um and how to be there for other people and really how to work with other people to get a job done too that maybe you don't want to do or yeah. don't think is important um so i think that experience really helped me just learn to you know even if there's something you don't want to do, like you get it done for the good of the cause, you know, yeah. whether someone sees that or not. Um, this builds a lot of character. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And through that as well, I was able to meet a lot of great friends, um, you know, and people that supported me um, throughout this venture. Um, API at IU um, is a big fraternity. Um, we had like 200 kids like throughout the four grades. So there's a lot of people there too that, you know, I think in college, like, you know, obviously you learn like whatever you do in school or whatever, but it really helps you develop, you know, social connections, how to meeting people from different parts of the country coming from different backgrounds and cultures. Like, you know, I was, I think just really opened up to different ways of life and sort of inspired that, you know, there's a lot of different ways um, to get to where you want to go. Yeah, totally. And, and, so you, obviously you come here, you get really involved with your fraternity and, and the guys in the house. What about like your classes and, and extracurriculars? Were you doing much around campus first semester yeah. outside of that? Well, I mean, sort of. I was doing school and, you know, um, doing API um, were my main responsibilities yeah. my first semester freshman year. Um, 
but I was I'm in Kelly, so I was doing the prereqs there and stuff. Yeah. Um, in high school, I mean, Carmel offers a lot of opportunities to get ahead at mm-hmm. IU. So like, I had taken macro, micro, and like finite already. So you were kind of chilling. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I was able to you know put myself in a position as well to get ahead. Yeah. In school, so. I was doing that, just getting further along, um, to, you know, eventually to get to i and to get through that. Um, but still, at that time, my freshman year, the Trap Mike's idea, you know, hadn't come to fruition yeah. yet. So I really had, still to then, like, had no plans of starting my own business in college. Yeah. Um, but basically, fast forwarding to second semester of that year, um, you know, I'm in the house now, like, don't have that responsibility of, like, you know doing extra work um that you know isn't necessarily for you um just enjoying myself and whatnot but basically you know during that time i got tired of ordering pizza x and jimmy john's you know two in the morning or you know whatever time it was um (laughs) and i just also felt um because doordash was available too and at that time i remember like all the delivery at night was from like four to six dollar fee just tagged on to anything. So like, you know, ordering an item from McDonald's for yourself or from IHOP or wherever it was open at the time, like it was pretty much like doubling. You're like, spending the cost. like twenty five bucks to get like a yeah eight dollar meal. I totally agree with that. Exactly. Yeah. And like that was something I became frustrated with just because I was like, this is so expensive. Like, yeah, I didn't understand how pe- my friends and you know just other people are ordering food and just getting stuff all the time and just like um, stomaching the cost yeah I, I, i'm the same way one of my best friends always orders doordash and i'm like i don't understand how you like doordash is a treat for me you know like yeah. if i'm really gonna splurge like late night and like but you're right i mean it is a, it's a tax like it is very expensive and so basically like um i just felt there had to be a way to make not only like better food but like different food yeah. as well for less money like yeah um, so the idea for trap mics in its most raw form pretty much was a delivery only restaurant, um, with free delivery. Yeah. Um, and that was pretty much the extent of the idea at that time. Um, and I introduced it to my friends, uh, you know, Misha and Max Ruitz, who again, we've talked about before, but, you know, originally, um, you know, we talked about it, like, this is something that we could start, like yeah. whatever, like it's an interesting idea. But then, like, literally the next week, we all get sent home for COVID. Yeah. Um, That's crazy. And so this was right on the brink of, of the, you know, right, like you said, early March is when you guys are starting to really talk about this with each other and figure out, could we do this? Yeah. Right? And maybe not even, like, could we do this? It was just, like, this is a neat idea. It's yeah. fun, like, you know, maybe we'll do this when we graduate or something. Okay. Um, yeah. And, but when we get sent home, like... You know, obviously I'm bored, like, <laughs> oh, we're just getting ready to go on spring break, and then after that, you know, it's the rest of the year with, you know, Qualls and Lil' Five, like, whatever, you know. And then it, none of that exists yeah, anymore, right? Yeah, and I was yeah. just, like, I was bored. I was like, what the hell, like, you know, <laughs> like, I should be having a lot more fun than I am right now. Um, and I think, like, I just felt myself, like, needing a purpose, like, during that time, like, something to put my mind on. Um yeah. And so I started digging into the idea more and more, researching and whatnot. Um, same with Misha and Max. And we found out about ghost kitchens. Like, we didn't yeah. even know what that was. I mean, it's basically just renting a kitchen space from someone else and operating it from there. 
Um, we found the One World Kitchen Share, um, which is a commissary um, in Bloomington owned by Jeff Meese, um, who also owns Pizza X. Um, met with him, like pitched our idea in like June of that year, basically like, yeah, we want to start a late night restaurant, delivery only. Um, we served, um, you know, sandwiches, quesadillas, chicken tender wraps, yeah. pancakes, whatever. And, you know, they were nice enough to let these two 19-year-old kids, because it was just Misha and I at, the, at that time doing it, um, you know, come in to their kitchen. Was this over the summer then? You guys, like, came back to Bloomington and started, like, yeah. figuring it out? or Because we're from Carmel. Yeah. So, I mean, it's only an hour, 15-minute drive. It's nothing crazy. Um, and I guess back for yeah. uh, rewinding just a little bit, in May, when IU announced that students were allowed to come back to campus that fall um even though we're doing online school uh, but when they announced students were coming back we're like okay like this is something that we want to go forward with yeah because um, so, obviously if people weren't coming back we weren't going to start yeah. a restaurant in bloomington um to do that um so this is right before your sophomore year our sophomore year yeah. so we're thinking like july of 2020 you guys are, are finally like okay we know we're going back to bloomington We've met with Jeff Meese. We know we have a kitchen that could work. We have this idea of like late night food delivery is mm -hmm. a tax. You don't you don't have that many options. You like you said, it's pretty much like Pizza X honestly has a monopoly on the late night food industry in Bloomington. They did at, at least. And so then you and Misha at this point in time are all right, when we go back to school, we're gonna get this off the ground. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, we get back to school, and this is where I think being a student helped us um, along this process because, I mean, we didn't have the managerial or just restaurant experience of just, like, how to build out a restaurant operation or, like, what stuff will stick and what stuff won't. So, like, you know, I used my friends um, a lot for, like, yeah. guidance. Like, I made up the original menu, like, with the names, ingredients, like, whatever. Like, yeah. sent it out, like would you guys order this? Um, and obviously, like, with, like, the combinations we were putting together, like, I don't know, like, mac and cheese with, like, cheese curds, mozzarella sticks, and bacon, like, people like that idea. Yeah. So I think it just helped us to, um, at least for me, like, feel more confident about what we're doing. Because um, every uh, point in the way, like, I tried to make sure, like, what we were doing like made sense to the customer. Yeah, um, you know, which was your friends, which is the kids like us. Exactly. Yeah, because um, yeah, I think like if you're starting this idea, like the Trap Mike's idea of being a restaurant open from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m., and one like you're not a person that loves food or really is a student um, that's living that life, um, I feel like it would have been would be hard to connect um, with that student base. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really an advantage we had. Um, and for me, um, like I've said, like really taking a part of the Bloomington culture and the IU culture growing up, like that was something really important to me um, was to be able to become a part of, yeah. you know, that culture and for people to know who we are um, and, you know, to want to be, you know, a part of our experience as well um, and adding trap mics like to their night um, to make it to make it better and yeah. to have fun. Like, that was our slogan, to make good food and have fun. Yeah. Um, and that was really the goal from day one. That's cool. So so now that, you know, we have you have this idea and things are starting to go together, I guess, like, where was the like the first place you started where it was, like, actionable? Like, when did things start getting real for you guys? Yeah, so 
That's a good question. Um, yeah. And I think we were lucky to have some good resources and, like, advisors to put us in the right direction. But as far as, like, planning, like, the food part of it and um, to start that way, um, my uncle um, works for PFG, which is a food supplier. Yeah. And so, I mean, he was a salesman for them um, in the Indianapolis area. And so, <laughs> Couldn't be a better connection. Yeah. yeah so, literally. I mean, I just talked to him, like, I'd be like, order food yeah. um, and things like that. And this is where things like being at Jersey Mike's helped as well, where I was like, I knew like the manager placed an order every week, um, so, you know, spent X amount, like, you know, whether it's like $5,000 or what, just on inventory um, and things like that. And so like just starting that process, he got me connected with PFG um, and the Bloomington rep um, in this area. His name's Thomas Jones. Um, and I think... You know, talking to Thomas um, in particular first, um, I think was important because he didn't treat me, um, you know, as like a 19 year old kid. Like he, you know, from first call, like respected what we were doing, was yeah. very helpful, um, you know, always treated us well. Um, so I think that was important too, um, to start out with that to make and to make sure like getting food and the type of food we wanted was going to be possible to get Um and going on with that, um, one of my goals, um, and really the vision for Trap Mics was obviously the food was going to be unhealthy, but I wanted to serve like high quality unhealthy food. Yeah. Um, so like I didn't want like McDonald's chicken or Taco Bell meat. Um, you know, coming from Jersey Mike's, like we sliced our turkey and roast beef, like whatever meats like to order. Um, it's a lot more fresh and it's better. So you know, we got, you know, better quality, things like that. We didn't slice them to order, but we sliced at the start of every day. Yeah. Um, our chicken um, isn't, like, is breaded on spot, actually, before it's, like, you know, deep fried. Um, instead of just letting it sit overnight where it becomes, you know, a lot more grainy and like, what you buy, you know, just from, like, the frozen section yeah. um, at the store. So it was making sure all of that was possible. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. I never knew that was, like, a part of the identity of trap mics was making sure it was like really like strategically and intentionally prepared yeah Yeah. certainly um and like something along with that too like our avocados like i refuse to do like the avocado and like the squeeze bottle until literally like last month i finally gave in just because like i'm big i'm a food guy like i don't know i wanted the fresh avocado um i mean that's just one example too but like our cheese curds like were sent from Wisconsin because I didn't like the other products yeah. that we got. So um, as you guys are building out this menu, I'm assuming at this point in time you like signed. Do you sign a lease to use the te- the ghost kitchen? Is that like yeah. what you did? So you've. I'm assuming you have the kit. What time did you did you guys get the kitchen? Like in in the timeline of Trap Mike's. Yeah. So we didn't end up signing the agreement until later on in the process. Might not have been until like November okay. or December of that year. Um, it was really just to create that mutual connection. Um, but something we did too was we knew we were going to end up having to, we knew we were going to end up having to open second semester. Yeah. Just like being students and whatnot, not really knowing what we were doing. Um, we just like didn't have enough time to open first semester. So we knew it was going to be second and due to the school schedule, students weren't supposed to start back until February. Um, 
So what we did was we planned what we called the proof of concept period, where we were going to be open from th for only three days, um, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, um, from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. Um, for second semester, starting in, when students came back in February yeah. and until the end of the school year. Um, so with that being said, we knew we were only going to be open for a total of 39 days um, yeah. in our like trial run. Um, so that was also interesting too, like planning for that was like we're spending so much many days and time to literally plan for a stretch of thirty nine days where we're gonna see if like this thing has legs to go forward. And you know, because like we're preparing, you know, revenue estimates and just like the projections yeah. like that you see on Shark Tank. Like yeah. that's what it was sort of like. I was like, all right, like what stuff should we be prepared for? Yeah. Um, that's like that. Yeah. And it's like going back to our DECA project. Like I'm looking at that, like how did I structure this and whatnot? Um, which like I probably should have been using something a little bit um, <laughs> from like actual professional, but like, yeah. whatever. And that's the thing, like everyone you know, was in the advice I was getting and things like was really emphasizing, like, what are your estimates or your costs, you know, all this stuff. And, you know, I get it in yeah. theory, like to know what's going on, but you know, a lot of it too was, I knew I couldn't price things like too, too high, for instance. Um, like no one was going to buy a chicken tender app, um, for like $20 or something like that or sandwich. Yeah. So we did, you know, a lot of polls where I would just send out like for this item, like what price range would you be comfortable paying? And, you know, I'd look at survey results from that to try to base it because it's sort of like not exactly what Amazon does. I'm completely um, <laughs> underestimating what their whole business model is, but it's like finding what the customer wants and for what they're willing to do. Um, and then gearing our operations to meet that. Um, and that's really what I wanted because a part of our thing too was free delivery. Yeah. Um, and I was going to ask, and we can go to this later, but that's such a baffling concept. Like one, how would you incentivize drivers to work unfavorable hours and know that there's no delivery fee? Yeah. So like, how did you build that into the cost of the, the meals? I mean, that's pretty much what we did was um, we worked it into the actual cost of of the food yeah um, and you know because of that um you know it was just being strategic of because i thought of, about it a lot from my perspective like knowing i'm getting free delivery like what would i pay for this um and it was a lot of you know psychology um and consumer like testing and that's where my friends came in big again um with just sending them the you know mock menus like would you pay this for that um and obviously with our costs like i was making sure we're like yeah selling a product for less than we were buying it for um yeah I, but that was pretty easy to avoid too just because we were buying it yeah in mass quantities so to kind of like go off of that i know again like when you order food from any restaurant you're not thinking about all the like logistical hurdles that you have to conquer so when looking at your costs obviously you don't need to go into what the costs were like what the what they were like numerically but what type of things went into costs that like maybe I wouldn't or people wouldn't consider? Like what were your, your costs? Yeah. And that's like too, um, like something, a big lesson I, you know, learned during that period was even though we're only open for half the week, like our expenses are coming 24 seven. Yeah. Like they're, it's relentless. Um, I think 
besides just like the actual food cost itself um and things like that um a lot of things that we had to pay for that was sort of unexpected was you know sort of just like legal things yeah Um, you know, it's more than just like registering your business, um, you know, then like filing, you know, your business formation, like whatever you decide to do. Um, we decided to be an LLC, like for example, um, like there's certifications you have to get. Um, then you got to get the health department to come in and um, approve your space. And, you know, none of that's free. Yeah. Like, even though you have, to, you're required to do this, like you're still the one paying for it. Um, I mean, obviously, <laughs> like, I mean, taxes are expensive, yeah. too. Like, I'm paying, like, for that stuff. Um, and I think a lot of it, too, was everything's very time-consuming as well. Like, yeah. every, like, government um, site um, that you have to use to pay for a different type of tax or sales, and I don't even know, um, like, all different format um, and interface. So, it was sort of con- time-consuming that way. Yeah. So... Well, and I was yeah. say, like, this is something, too, like, it just came from, like, who our employees were and, you know, just the whole hiring situation we're in. But, like, I would pay, like, some of, like, the child support, like, for my workers just because, you know, I guess if a person doesn't pay it long enough, then, like, your employer is responsible to do so. So that was something, too, like, I'm not expecting, like, you know, I'm just going along, trying to manage everything we're doing anyway, get, like, a letter from, you know, the office of, I don't know, child force, whatever, it's, <laughs> yeah. whatever it's called. Like, yeah. I'm just like, what the hell? Like, how, <laughs> how is this even? Po- how am I, am I expected to do this? Yeah. Um, so it's just like things like that where you know there's just always something coming up um, that you're figuring out. That's crazy. So it's just like putting out small fires here and there. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. The small. That's a great way to put it. So kind of fast forward a little bit. Um, so now you have your space and you have your menu and you, and you know what you're, you guys are getting into. Um, let's go to, you know, February and, mm-hmm. and you guys are getting ready to, like you said, open up to the, like prove that your idea works, like prove that this concept has, like you said, has legs. Something that was fascinating to me being a student, you know, being a, a same grade, being a sophomore student at IU and starting to see trap mics in your logo and that brand pop up on my social media yeah. page. How did you guys target, like think about strategically marketing your brand and like, where did you guys start with? informing us about what you guys were doing yeah for sure um i think a big part was the name um that was something that was really important to me um i wanted trap mics from the beginning from the original idea it was trap mics and that name came from working at jersey mics um the former employees there like the full-time workers who we worked with called it trap mics um you know it's a fun environment to work at Um, yeah so that was something that we also wanted to keep forward, keep that part of the culture, um, the fun environment, um, and especially being a late night restaurant. Like, yeah. I mean, we were targeting people that are drunk and high. Like, <laughs> it's not a secret. Um, yeah. So we wanted that um, to stay a part of the theme. And, you know, even throughout the process, like, people, oh, you should change the name. I don't get it. Like, blah, blah, blah. Was, no, like, it's going to stick. Yeah. Um, and... As far as like the logo itself and like what it looks like, I think the logo is. I mean, the name's awesome. The logo is cooler than the name. Yeah, like the little cartoon. Exactly. Like, yeah, brought it all together. Um, and that too was because in AEPI, our apparel chair, um, the person that like designed um our clothes, made an AEPI shirt like with those letters. Yeah. For AEPI, and I don't know when I thought of it. I think it was pretty early on, but I was like. 
the trap mics needs to be in those letters. Um, yeah. So I call my friend, his name's Noah Zaroff. Um, he designed the original logo um, and also some of like the follow-up designs. Like we did a Miami Vice theme. Um, yeah. We did like 420 theme um, <laughs> and things like that. Um, and he, he's very talented. Um, yeah. He made a great logo. And, you know, that was a cool part too um, along the way was, you know, having a vision and something in my own mind and then, you know, being able to collaborate with different people um, to make it come true. So I remember when we got the logo, like that was very exciting for us. Just yeah. like, okay, like this is coming together. Um, but then as far as like targeting like other students and our customers, um, I didn't want to start too early because I didn't want, want, you know, people to sort of hear about it then forget and be like, what, what's going on yeah. here? So very intentionally like started January 1st of that year um you know had the Instagram ready to go made the first post um then I had sort of you know friends lined up um to help me like spread the word about it like share it on their stories um and post other things about trap mics like opening February um and all that stuff and we sort of just took it from there um I was lucky to have um you know, friends are willing to help me as we call them ambassadors. Yeah. Um, you know, putting things on their stories. They got a discount code for ten percent off. Um, that other people were also able to use. Yeah. And I think that really helped us get the name out because, you know, that first day we opened, um, it was February fourth. Um, we literally got like a hundred orders within like the first hour of being open. Um, which is, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the most amount we've ever gotten. Um, yeah. Like, since then, like, just in one span. So, I mean, that was also a huge learning experience because, I mean... Like, literally, like, back against the wall, like, you have yeah. to deliver it here is just this insane volume. Exactly. Unexpected volume, right? There's no way you guys anticipated that, did you? I mean, and that was part of, you know, the thing getting ready for the business that we talked about all the time and why I always said, like, projections... Not like they don't mean anything, but to me they didn't because I was like, you can't project, you know, a hundred people ordering in an hour. Um, Because I knew that was possible from the start. And I mean, we had like a bunch of people, like all of our employees, like in the kitchen to like make things happen. But it was still very chaotic. And like, yeah, yeah, like from the first day, like I'm some people's orders are probably bad or wrong (laughs) and came cold just because. We didn't, um, you know, weren't prepared for that, but it was part of a learning yeah. experience and we got better um, throughout. Yeah. So I know obviously that first weekend must have been insane. So you get that Monday after the Sunday, even after that weekend, like you guys get to kind of take a step back, catch your breath. Like after recognizing, I think probably with, I would say from my perspective, within that first few weeks when I knew of friends ordering trap mm-hmm. mics and kind of was hearing about how much like my, my peers were enjoying it. When did you guys recognize, like, and take that step back, like, all right, now that we know this has momentum, what do we do now? Yeah, so, and that's, like, where the proof of concept came in. Like, we had our original, like, revenue, like, projection. Um, Not even projection, it was a goal. And, like, we just did 100000 in revenue. Um, And, I mean, we got to that number based off doing estimates and projections or whatever, but it was really something like, too, where we had no idea what was going to happen. And honestly, it was like, if we had 100K, like, that'd be pretty cool. Like, yeah. Only, like, in that short amount of time. And so, like, 
you know, during those days, like we, Misha and I um, worked pretty much every day, like in the kitchen, making it happen. Um, we had other workers as well. And obviously, like I'm seeing the numbers come in each week. Um, I was doing our financial, um, you know, and other things behind the scenes. And I was like, okay, like this seems like it's possible here. Yeah. Um, I think we should, you know, keep pushing, keep going. Yeah. Um, you know, and finally, like, on the very last night, like, we hit that number. Wow. Which just goes to show, like, all these people spending so much money bringing analysts and consultants to project this stuff. Like, I was just sitting in my basement one night and, like, pretty much put that together in, like, an hour. And um, you, it was accurate. And you <laughs> and did it, it literally. Did like, it. Um, that's crazy. So that was something, too, where I was like, okay, like, I mean, it definitely gives you, like, confidence, I guess, is, like, we can do this. Like, we're not... I mean, the stuff we're making up has validity. Um, yeah. And so that was sort of um, exciting as well. Um, but just throughout, it was, you know, sort of being not relentless because we didn't want to over overload our social media and people following us. But it was trying to be strategic um, on the days we were open. We want more sales. Um, you know, we had it was, um, a different, like, a group um in Bloomington um help us make different advertising materials that we could use. Um we got a big thing in the college mall, uh like in the food court yeah. and outside of Target that people could see when they are walking in um advertising us. So we tried to definitely um you know spread that spread the word around but you know we always felt too that it sort of needed to be a word of mouth thing. Um because that meant people actually cared and liked it. Um, and so that was something that um, we really wanted to emphasize and to make sure um, we put care into like each order, um, making sure it's right. Um, and if something's wrong, uh, you know, doing what we can to fix it and make it up to the customer just because we wanted to make sure, you know, each person that tried us, like, you know, felt valued Um because at least for me, like, I really do yeah. appreciate every person that ordered it because, yeah, like, it was, um, yeah. I guess, not, like, a risk for them necessarily, but it's still, like... Like, when you put yourself place. out there to see that, like, it's paying, like, that's cool. That's just gratifying, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, So, kind of fast-forwarding, I mean, I think, you know, at least from my perspective, being a student, like, Trap Mike's was just an awesome, kind of, like... I don't know. It just had so much momentum behind it. And I could see that. I recognized that last year. Um, and so it's obviously, like you said, being serving college kids, being on a college campus, the momentum of your company is certainly impacted by the schedule of the year. Yeah. So when we went home, did you guys close over the summer? Is that what it looked like? Or Yeah. So yeah. we shut for down for the summer um, and, you know, sort of based off hitting the 100K and you know, even if we didn't hit that, um, I still felt like we had, you know, a loyal consumer base and people we could depend on. Um, so we decided to run it back for the following year. Um, and basically that summer, um, well, that summer I didn't necessarily want to stay at home. Um, yeah. Based on the COVID year and then, you know, being open for trap mics that second semester, um, I was doing i as well for Kelly. So I was very busy. Um, I was, you weren't like a normal college kid. No. Yeah. Um, I was, I mean, I was pretty much working all the time, like when I was awake um, and then slept. Um, I wanted to, you know, relax and go away. So I actually went to Israel for the summer for eight weeks. Misha and I, too, um, 
went together. We stayed up at the same place, um, spent the summer there, and it was nice. We had an internship on the program we were on called Onward. We were working with some nonprofit called Roundup, um, which was a cool experience and being able to travel around. And there, we know, we were planning for the next year as well, you know, to reopen. We're expanding to five days a week now because we wanted, you know, to be a legitimate restaurant, um, yeah. something that was open all the time and people knew about and wanted um, and so on. So we were spending a lot of time doing that. And then at the same time, um, we had other plans as well, you know, not only for Indiana, but perhaps moving to other college campuses and things. And then as well as just increasing our brand presence um, at IU. So part of our goal and what we're working on was bringing in more management um, into the kitchen to run our kitchen so we could spend less time, you know, in there um, and could focus on continuing to grow the brand in yeah. ways we weren't really able to before. <clears throat> because, you know, like I said, we were doing a lot of word of mouth, um, but it was just through our friends, you know. I'm an API and he's in SIGAP. Like those were two absolutely great consumer bases that we needed yeah. to survive at the beginning. And we, we probably wouldn't have without that having both of those um, fraternities ordering from us on a nightly yeah. basis. Um, but obviously there's just so much potential because yeah. we were doing on average a hundred orders a night. Um, so with an average order size of like 25 bucks, pretty much it's, we can estimate that's like for two people per order. So, yeah. you know, we were serving around 200 people a night, um, with a campus of 40,000 people plus other people that live here that don't go to IU could yeah. certainly order from us. So uh, in the back of my mind, I was just like, we already got something good going. There's so much more room here to go. Yeah. Um, so we worked on getting those managers. Um, we wanted three. We brought three in. Um, and this is sort of where things started to take a turn. Because um, like I said, we were in Israel for the summer. Um, but we still were working on the business. Um, but I still think it would have been different if we were in the States. Because that that time during the summer is really when this labor shortage started to really come a forefront. Yeah. Um, businesses uh because that's really when i think especially in the states people started to you know really come out of their quarantine and go back to work and things but you saw it from then like restaurants um you know manufacturers shipping companies or whatever were all short um on stuff um i was sort of aware of it abroad yeah um but it wasn't something that I was really cons concerned to too much of a level considering we had gotten the managers and I was like, we're going to come back. We'll hire the rest of our staff with them and we'll train them and, you know, we'll sort, sort of get figured out because, you know, the following trial run, the proof of concept period, you know, we were able to secure enough kitchen staff and drivers to help Misha and I get through it. Um, yeah. So the labor problem got worse basically over time. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't something that you would have expected that we would have yeah. expected. And, you know, I talked to multiple different restaurant owners. Um, one in particular, his name's Gabe Connell. Um, he owns, um, hot box pizza, which is around the Indianapolis area. Um, and we shared a lot of the same, you know, problems and frustrations of, you know, just hiring people, being, being able to retain people. Um, and so, like, straight from the beginning, you know, one of my managers quits after the first week. Um, you know, 
few weeks later, another manager quits. Um, we're having just problems like hiring employees. Um, yeah. We raised our opening wage from $10 to $12.50, which, I mean, it's a 25% increase. Um, and it still really wasn't working. Because um, we were obviously open during this time once school opened. Um, but the turnover rate was very high, um, especially amongst drivers. There was a time for drivers where we had a near 100% turnover rate. Um, wow. Just every time we hired someone, you know, two or three more would quit. It was uncanny. Um, yeah. yeah. So that was very frustrating um, as well. Um, and it was a challenge because, like I said, a part of this plan this whole time um, and I, was to sort not like take a step back from the kitchen but to have a staff that's trained well enough to allow us to do that um and to divert your energy effort like you said to grow trap mics in other ways exactly yeah um and due to this labor turnover um we're pretty much unable to do that um as far as you know just having a staff that understood how to get everything done yeah. on a nightly basis um and I will say, like, one of my managers, the one that stayed the whole time, his name is Antoine, like, he was great. Um, he, you know, helped us stay open um, to where we are now. Um, and I really leaned on him. Yeah. Uh, but basically, you know, we just need more people. Um, you know, Misha as well um, resigned um, in September, which for me, like, my jobs behind the scene was obviously greatly increased, um, trying to now balance, you know, everything that was going on on the outside. You know, including hiring, which was a major problem, um, as well as, you know, filling in in the kitchen. Um, yeah. There are days when, you know, we have four drivers scheduled, three of them call off, and now I'm coming in to replace three drivers. Like, it was a challenge. Um, and, you know, in school now, um, I, got, I started out taking 15 credits, quickly dropped down to 12. Um, but still, like... Um, I wasn't even spending like as much time as I had planned on, you know, doing my academic stuff. I was still just due to being called in every night. Um, it was always an emergency, um, going on as yeah. far as someone not coming in. Um, and again, like it's a tough thing to deal with and everyone's going through it. So, yeah. um, that was just something. There's no happened. clear remedy, you know. Exactly. It's like how do you? It makes sense. So, but going on like during this time though, um, you know, we're becoming more popular, um, which was nice to see. Um, a goal we had for this year was really to solidify um, the freshmen um, that were coming in, and I mean we did that. Um, you know, half of our orders are going to McNutt and Foster, um, and Forest orders a lot as well. So. We're pretty happy with the student demographic that we have already started to hit. Um, we expanded a lot of our delivery radius, like beyond, um, like originally, like we only delivered to like where the hospital is on the second street, yeah. but we went and now we're beyond there. Um, we deliver orders um, pretty far out. Sometimes when I'm delivering an order, I'm like, why the hell <laughs> are we delivering out here? Um, yeah. This is sort of out of the way yeah. um, I have like six other orders I need to get to um, but I was pretty happy with the progress that we had made um, and going off of that 
it was pretty cool. Um, I reached out to Kilroy's at the beginning of the school year, basically just as you did help us promote, help us grow our name, whether, you know, we could pass things out, you know, in their bar, you know, just sell, deliver food to people there. Um, just things like that. I, just because, you know, I always knew Kilroy's was, um, you know, I remember they always do their t-shirt giveaways. Yeah, um, they're probably, the, I mean, inarguably, they're like the pre premier bar in Bloomington as it concerns. Hands down, yeah. Connecting with the students. You're right. The breakfast club students wait outside at 4 a.m. to get a t-shirt and like some eggs. You know, it's not like that crazy of a concept, but yeah, they do a great job with, you know, connecting and, and having such a loyal exactly. following. Yeah. And like part of my merchandise and how we you know structured things had uh, made things look was because of Kilroy's um, keeping those fun designs and things. So they definitely um, inspired some of the things we did in terms of marketing. Um, but yeah, I was talking to them to see if they would help out. And long story short, basically we had come to an agreement with them where we were going to move in to Kilroy's sports um, and we were going to use their kitchen I mean, sell our food with inside their bar um, and then do takeout as well. Um, and due to this labor problem, um, I was excited for that to happen just because I thought it was going to make things you know, easier overall logistically because yeah. doing delivery only like it does, things do get backed up when it gets busy um, and serving live. Obviously, you can just get that food right out of the kitchen. And you don't have to worry about it again. Um and getting drivers had been really difficult, so we we're going to cut down our delivery only to the freshman dorms until things sort of resolved. Yeah. So it was definitely a change of a business model, but you know, like we were saying, like Kilroy's is—I mean, it's n number one. Like they're legit. Um, yeah. Everyone knows who they are because they do a great job. Yeah. Um, and they're fun, and people enjoy going there. Um, so that was a move that sort of like the reason that trap mics was started um like to get ourselves into a position like that because i mean i thought and i still believe that that move you know would have taken us uh, to the next level yeah um in terms of just like whether we continue down the avenue of working with kilroy's and or just moving on to different bars at different campuses and yeah. things like that um that was something we we're excited about yeah so now, like you said, that kind of brings us to where we are today, and here's as we're wrapping up a little bit. I know literally last night you guys announced that you're going to take a break and, and step away from Trap Mics and reorganize as we, you know, kind of, like you said, you know, just bear through and bear with this supply chain and labor crisis that exists yeah. in our country. So with that being said, uh, like, how are you feeling about th this break, this time to kind of take a step back, catch your breath and reorganize, and what is on your mind as you look into the future? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And like, you know, honestly, like I can't even, you know, answer it for with 100% accuracy because, you know, it still is very fresh. Like yeah. I made the decision yesterday morning. Um, you know, I was calling people all day, you know, sort of, you know, telling, um, you know, we're gonna have to close right now and whatnot. And, you know, obviously it was a very tough decision to make because like, if we were getting zero orders or we're doing under 50 orders and stuff and things like, I feel like it would always be easier to accept because the business concept itself had failed. Yeah. But the business concept here, um, isn't it's succeeding. Um, I'm hitting the goals that I set out for, um, and we're growing, we're becoming more popular. Um, you know, 
the grind every day can be tough. Um, like when, especially like on the support email, for instance, when something goes wrong and you know people are upset or whatever, it's like okay, like just relax, like yeah, um, whatever. Just because working really hard, trying to make sure um, everything is coming out um, correctly. But then, like, every once in a while, like, around campus when I'm walking around, um, you know, someone, you know, realizes who I am or, like, whatever and, like, you know, says, like, something nice or whatever. Like, that also, like, you know, keeps you going. Um, or, like, all my friends order trap mics. Like, we get it all the time. It's like, okay, like, I am doing this for a reason. Like, yeah. this is why we set out to do this. Yeah. Um, to improve people's nights. Um, but basically, it just got to the point where, um, you know, with Misha not being a part of it either, um, I was just too pretty much overstretched um, managing, you know, HR, um, accounting, our legal responsibilities, marketing, um, quality control, customer support, um, working in the kitchen Running as everything. a driver. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then on top of school, like for trap mics, I was working over sixty hours a week um, before even doing anything else with my life. Um, and I was fine doing that, honestly. I think I just got to the point where not only could we was the turnover still really high, um, but the people we had, um, I truly couldn't re- rely on every day um, and trust to care about every order. Um, because I think part of you know starting a business and be willing to go forward is um, you have to pass sort of threshold of caring um, where you have to care about it more than anything else um, and be willing to sacrifice, um, you know, your social life, um, your grades, um, and then other things that you originally thought that you'd be focusing on in school um, or just in life, even if you're not in school and you're starting a business. Um, And I didn't have the capacity to be in the kitchen all the time to make sure the care that I wanted to be put into my product was being maintained yeah and so and so right now like that's why i decided to take a pause um to reevaluate um because not everything i'm doing is perfect or right um i'm there are several ways where i could have ran the company better um so it's figuring out that and maybe you know being open 10 to 4 um just because of the labor situation we're in like i mean it's not feasible yeah. I can't get good people to work that deep into the night. Um, that's why it's also tough, too, because it's so new. Like, I don't hate the people that work <laughs> for me. I really don't. Um, I really appreciated the people that came in yeah. and who cared and wanted to come in every day. Um, but it's like I said, it's that threshold of caring. And I needed or I need more people to be with me on that level yeah. besides just me and my manager. Because, I mean... It takes far more than just two people um, to run our operation, um, especially to the demand level we are reaching. Um, yeah. You know, during our busy hours, we receive, like I said, we haven't received 100 orders in an hour since the first night. But, like, we definitely receive over 50 orders in an hour um, when we're busy. Um, and it's for multiple hours on end sometimes. And it's yeah. like, all right, I need you to come in, to keep grinding. When there's a break, fine, go outside and take a take a step out, take a minute for yourself. But like, that's not happening when we're super busy. Um, and I couldn't really get people to get onto yeah. my level like that, um, which I get it. I mean, that was one of the main things that was preached to me um, when I was starting this by other people is, you know, no one will care about your business as much as you, which 
obviously it's true and i didn't ever expect anyone else um to care about it as much as i did um but again like i mean it's you can talk to any sort of restaurant owner or business owner that's going through this um labor is just a huge issue um and people know as well that I mean, I can't. I could be making a generalization, but you don't have to go in and give everything you have because there are other jobs available. Everyone's hiring. Um, everyone is paying more than they ever have, um, and it's tough. It's hard to stay competitive. Yeah. yeah, and we, I mean, we're definitely we're growing, um, and we're really we were really close to sort of getting over that hump where you know we're really going to experience economies of scale and um, and all of that, but. And I think that's where Killers was going to come in and bring us there. But I didn't want to bring in a staff as well that I wasn't a hundred percent confident was going to be ordered, going to be able to you know produce the food to the scale we're going to need to do in the you know limited amount of time we have because no one wants to wait two hours for food. Like I'm the first person on that list that doesn't want to do that. Like, yeah, my order delivery, like like I'm. I'm looking at my phone constantly like, oh, like, let me, let yeah. me track this. What, what's the update? Like all of this. Um, and just right now, due to the circumstances, um, for me, um, it was just too much. And that's why it's hard to, like, I don't want to say that it's all over um, or that it's not going to ever reopen again because I truthfully don't know. Um, I want to bring in more people to help me, obviously, yeah. uh, maybe some more partners. Um just find a staff that I can rely on. Um, you know, one of the conversations I had with my cousin, um, he does business in Santa Monica, his name's Bill Hummelstein. Um, I really don't even know what he does, but he did well. <laughs> so basically I was talking to him and he asked me a question that really stuck, stuck with me. Um, I mean, basically he was like, you know, you're only 20 years old. Um, this labor problem is something that's global and might take up to two to three years to resolve itself on its own. Um, and no one's going to be able to solve it. It's a, you know, an economic thing, whatever. He's like, is this the problem that you want to be focusing your energy on solving right now? Or do you want to focus your energy on something that you can actually impact and something that you can actually change? Yeah. Um, and I mean, honestly, it was such like a deep, like <laughs> profound question. I couldn't even really answer it at the time. Um, but now that I'm sitting here and had time to reflect on that um, and going through the struggles I was having with my staff in terms of just getting people to show up and then even if they showed up to get them to care, um, I basically, I was like, no, um, yeah. this isn't what I want to be focusing my energy on. Um, I do think there are not more important matters because this probably... I mean, this is a very important issue of people coming back to work, but it's like, I can't be the one to solve that. I mean, yeah. that's just other people realizing that I need to go out and make some money and to work hard, just to have some pride in what they do. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, just going forward, if it things turn around and people are coming back to work and things are changing, like, I'd love to run trap mics back um, to move into Kilroy's and to take things on from there. Um but if we're looking where it's turning around into January of, you know, what is it, 2022 will be. Yeah. Um, and nothing's really changed. Um, then, it'll, I mean, I could still look at to open it back up my senior year of college. But, you know, we'll see. I don't yeah. know. Um, yeah. There's still a lot to, you know, be seen not only in my own life, but just in, you know, the outside world as well. Yeah. 
Well, Max, I really do appreciate you coming in and just being as you know candid and transparent as you were. Um, like I've said a ton of times, from my perspective, <clears throat> excuse me, what you guys did in this last year with Trap Mics and how I saw it connect with students was incredible. And considering that you're a student yourself, like you're a 21, 20 year old guy who you know is in a fraternity at IU, and you're able to do this, like <clears throat> I don't know, it's, it's pretty incredible, man. So. Thanks again for, you know, taking the time to sit down and, and share this and um, wish you the best of luck and all you do moving forward. Yeah, I really appreciate you and um, had a great time. So thank you. Yeah, of course. Has there ever been a year we're more excited for the holidays? Don't wait until the last minute, guys. Plan ahead and surprise her with something unexpected. Imagine her face when you hand her a Shane Company box tied with a burgundy bow. Does she already have a pair of stud earrings from Shane Company? Diamond, ruby, or sapphire? Trade them in for a larger size and only pay the difference from what you originally paid. Or maybe you got her engagement ring when you were young and just starting out. How about surprising her with a larger diamond? Or perhaps an exciting new diamond shape? You can upgrade her engagement ring at any time, and you'll get full credit for your original centerstone. Just pay the difference. Shane Company has the best upgrade policy in the business. If you're not sure where to start, make an appointment and we'll help you out. Surprise her with an upgrade this holiday and leave her speechless. Now you have a friend in the jewelry business. Shane Company and Shaneco.com. Fall is a season of gathering that brings us together with warmth and color. So whether it's a birthday, anniversary, or a special event, celebrate your friends and family with a gorgeous bouquet from 1-800-Flowers.com. 1-800-Flowers makes it easy to find your reason and brighten someone's day with exclusive offers and great values on bouquets and arrangements. To order today, visit 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. That's 1-800-Flowers.com slash tune in. Download our app in iTunes and the Google Play Store. TED Talks Daily. I'm your host, Elise Hugh. Netflix is known for its mountains of data and its algorithms that build on that data to help you choose your entertainment. But in today's talk from Netflix's chief marketing officer, Bozoma St. John, she points out that we over-rely on data sometimes in our life choices. Her talk from Ted Monterey in 2021 calls us to tap into our own intuition as a superpower. Hey, it's Adam Grant. I host Work Life, a podcast from the TED Audio Collective. I'm an organizational psychologist, and the show is about how to make work not suck. 
In the upcoming season, I'm sitting down with some of my favorite thinkers, leaders, and achievers to rethink assumptions that we often take for granted. Today, I'm talking with longtime PepsiCo CEO Indra Nui about what it means to be a great leader and a great mentor. Find and follow Work Life with Adam Grant. That's me, wherever you're listening. You wouldn't put your teen athlete on the same field as the pros, so why would you take them to the same doctor? Children's Healthcare of Atlanta Orthopedics and Sports Medicine is Georgia's only nationally ranked program for teen athletes. Visit today at choa.org slash teens. Support for TED Talks Daily comes from WISE, the smart way to move money internationally. Do you ever send money or shop online overseas or receive money from abroad? I certainly do, and that's why I personally use WISE, and so should you. It is a one-stop shop for all your international banking needs. WISE always gives you the real exchange rate for a super low fee, so you get to hang on to more of your money when it crosses borders. WISE is like a permanent promo code for sending, spending, and receiving money internationally. And their transfers are super fast, too. I will vouch for that. Nearly 40% arrive instantly. So whether you're making your first international transfer or your hundredth, WISE always lets you do it cheaper and faster. And with the WISE multi-currency account and debit card, you can avoid high foreign transaction fees. No one likes that when you shop overseas, online, or in-store. Join 10 million people and businesses, one of them is me, and try WISE for free at WISE.com slash talks. That's WISE.com. Slash talks. So I am here to recruit you to the liberation movement. So you're probably wondering, well, what are we being liberated from? We are being liberated from the endless weight of data. It keeps us bound so that we can't move into the future because we're so busy being tied to the past. So how do we get free? The freedom comes from our intuition, you know, that you can't really quite quantify. Sometimes you can't even really describe it. That intuition, that's the thing. Now, I'm fortunate to have had a, a career in marketing where data and intuition and creative ideas are sort of intertwined. But at the beginning of my career, I had a boss who told me that the data was going to be extraordinarily important to the success of my ideas, right? Anchor the idea in the data. You can predict whether or not it's going to work, and then you can see if it actually did work, and vice versa. Well, I mean, look, I, I took that advice. <laughs> I baked a lot of my ideas right there in the data. I was inspired sometimes, right? I'd see a pattern of something moving, and I'd say, ooh, look, 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 I can follow that. Maybe it'll work. But the challenge was that my ideas stopped right there. They didn't really take flight. Because you know the ideas are based off of electricity. You know, ideas like come sharp. They sprint here, and they go here, and they move there. They're nonlinear. I kind of feel like they're like daydreams. You know, intuition gets you there. It feels like something that is just on the horizon. You know, and then sometimes it comes into sharp focus. You wake up and you remember exactly what it was. That's what ideas feel like. 
And your intuition is actually what helps you get there. It takes it from something that is so practical to something that is magical. Now, I'm also very, very, very grateful uh, for a boss I had early on who affirmed my intuition. I worked for Spike Lee at his advertising agency. This was in the early 2000s. And at the time, Pepsi had commissioned him to create a commercial for a campaign that they were trying to run on the main brand. Spike asked, you know, everybody in the office to come up with some thoughts on what the talent could be that would star in the commercial. And at the time, I was an assistant account executive. Uh, There were people who were much more senior than I, who knew exactly what they were doing, who had come up with a bunch of great ideas. They went to the data. You know, they went to the billboard charts to look at who was at the top. They went to album sales to see who was selling, you know, who the public really loved. They looked at lists that experts had put together. Who's at the top? Who's really going to win? Who has longevity? Well, I didn't really understand any of that data. (laughs) I could look at it, but eh, I didn't really trust myself to interpret it. So I went to the thing I did know, which was MTV. (laughs) There had been a uh, made-for-TV movie called Carmen, the Hip Hopera, on MTV. I loved it. It starred Beyonce. Now, I thought it was magical because, I mean, who the hell puts hip-hop and opera together? It's fascinating. So I put my vote on Beyonce. Now, of course, today, everybody would be like, well, of course, that makes so much sense. Why wouldn't you bet on her? Yes, she's a winner. But at the time, the data would tell us differently. You know, there are not a lot of uh, solo artists that come out of girl groups and are successful. In my opinion, there's only one. (laughs) Diana Ross. Yeah, the one. (laughs) Beyonce is another. So at the time, nobody was betting on her. But I'm so grateful that Spike affirmed my intuition and also followed his. And I would say today that we're pretty successful. <laughs> now, 20 years later, uh, I still use my intuition daily. I'm the chief marketing officer at Netflix. You'd probably say that, uh, well, maybe the stakes weren't as high when I was an assistant account executive, so I could use my intuition and who cared? And maybe today that's different. It's not. (laughs) Every day, I'm charged with looking at campaigns that are 15 seconds long, 30 seconds long, 60 seconds long, 90 seconds long, that will encourage you to watch something that's much longer. Every day. And so I have to use my intuition to understand whether or not something is going to make you cry immediately. Is it going to make you laugh immediately? Is it going to scare you? Is it going to inspire you? And I feel like if I feel that, then perhaps you do too. Now, I'm not the only one. There are other people who who do this. Uh, One is 100 years ago, over 100 years ago, Henry Ford. He's attributed with saying that if he had asked people at the time when he was 
inventing the Model T if they wanted something like that. <laughs> they would have said they wanted faster horses instead of this new invention. I think that's pretty powerful. Or you can look at today, more recent example, Ed Bastian and the team at Delta, you know, based on intuition, I believe, decided that after the restrictions of leaving that middle seat open so that those who were flying would feel safer, right, with some distance in between them, that after those restrictions were lifted, they still kept that middle seat open. Now, I'm sure they were losing millions of dollars every day with that decision. But the intuition was right. Do you feel safer? Do I feel safer? What would make us feel safer? I think that's the right thing. Now, look, we can all look at 2020 and 2021 <laughs> and understand that, oof, we can't really predict what happens. <laughs> we don't really know. But what we do know, what are the things that make us feel good, the things that scare us, the things that make us feel more connected to each other? You know, today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. I didn't make that up, but it's so corny and I love it. <laughs> but my addition to it is the question, why would we give the present back? Oh, your intuition is a gift. So we have to use it. So then let's talk about you. You have your intuition. And we'll use some science in here, too. Okay, we're not totally against data. <laughs> that if you are a set up of uh, molecules, okay, every one of us have a unique pattern, a unique set. How remarkable is that? No two of us are the same. So one molecule changes, and we have a whole other being. Now, if you consider that we take ourselves as a whole, Let's pretend we're one big molecule. The matter over there is life and the experiences, <clears throat> the services, the communities that we serve. And we enter that matter, it changes. You step out of the matter, it changes. So of course you're powerful. So why wouldn't your intuition, your own thing that you have, be powerful? I think about that all the time. And perhaps you don't want to take the big, big swing just yet. You know, you can take the little steps. You can practice. I've practiced for a long time. I want to encourage you to practice, too. So maybe you don't want to, you know, bet on Beyonce. <laughs> Or maybe you don't want to create the Model T. Maybe you don't want to make the call about the middle seat. So let's, let's take it to something that may be a little bit easier, a little closer to home. Let's pretend you're... Curating a dinner party. You're going to be safe about it. We have six people over. And you're considering all the data around who likes what, right? There's some people who, you know, maybe somebody's a pescatarian, another person doesn't eat dairy, another hates spicy food, somebody only likes their food really, really hot with heat. <laughs> And you have to consider all of this. Put it all together, think about what to make. I think you'd come up with a really bland fish dish. Ugh, something terrible. 
But if you used yourself as the curator, as the one with intuition, think about yes, all the data, put in all the data, you know, pescatarian, the spices, all of that. I think you'd probably come up with something that you wanted to eat too, you know, taking all that into consideration. It might be a catfish stew, something really delicious, something memorable. Now there's probably going to be one person in there who hates it. Guaranteed, there's always one, but that's okay. Everybody else will remember that moment, will remember that experience, and it'll be something exciting. So consider that. As I think about data and how we want to live and change our world, I'm reminded that sometimes data is the pill that we take to calm our insecurity. About what we intuitively know. So I'm advocating that we decrease the dosage of our data, and that we increase the implementation of our intuition. You'll feel great. You really will. When you are able to prove to yourself that the power of your intuition is actually accurate. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review. Con Prime recibes bombillas en un día. Edison estaría orgulloso. Mhm, uh -huh. orgullosísimo. Recibe rápido los esenciales diarios. Prime lo cambia todo. One of the things you got to do is it's just you know it's just experience. Like you can't strap down some of the stuff that we strap down to the flatbed with with just regular straps like ratchet straps. That stuff needs to be chained down. The things are going to stay on the flatbed bed. Chain those down overnight. Otherwise, someone's going to cut your straps, which they did to us, which are expensive to replace, and then stole all of the tarps. That's what was that's what was strapped down the tarps, because a lot of these loads. Remember, you got to strap them down. You got to put straps on them, and some of them also require that you put tarps over the top to keep them from getting wet. You're listening to America's fastest growing podcast on diversified and passive income. This is the Diversified Income Experiment. I'm your host Keith Leinbach. Man, I can't believe it's podcast time already. Welcome back to the nation of diversified income. Listen, man, I'm I'm uh, I'm stoked, stoked for a few callouts today to my fans. So you know, I've been asking people like, where the heck are you at, and why are you listening to my show? And I finally got a response back from 
Nicholas Lazaricos. Nick, I hope that's how you pronounce it, man. Now, Nick is living in Qatar. Qatar? Qatar? Q-A-T-A-R. This guy's great, man. He says, listen, I'm not Qatari. (laughs) If I was, I'd be rich and I wouldn't be listening to your podcast. (laughs) That is classic. He's from Greece and uh, he's working in the oil sector in Qatar, man. And Qatar is one of the biggest gas fields in the world. And it's the country that will host the Soccer World Cup in 2022. So, you know, that's pretty awesome, man. Nick, I appreciate you reaching out and filling me in on everything except how to pronounce this deal. I guess Qatar is actually the uh, wealthiest country by capita, right? Qatar is the richest country in the world based on GDP per capita because it's small and uh, they, they got a bunch of oil. So there you go, man. You're learning stuff all over the place. Listen, we're going to be talking about trucking today. And I, I thought I had an episode queued up, but I didn't. So I grabbed a Tecate and I came to the studio and I decided to uh, record this thing. It's late Wednesday and you're going to hear this on Friday. So this is almost real time stuff. And I hope you've been playing along on the trucking business. I'm going to provide a lot of these trucking updates because we've, as a, as a podcast, have invested together over $140,000 to put this business in place. So I'm going to give you an update on that. And I'm also going to share an idea for anybody that's in an entrepreneurial spirit out there that wants to learn how to make a million dollars in 2022. I'm going to give you the answer toward the end of this podcast, and you're going to be blown away by how simple this actually is. But before I do that, let me also share with you, S like Sam, if you're listening to this podcast, thanks, man. You wrote me a really nice review. I love the positive and soothing environment that you created for the podcast. Dude, I really appreciate you saying that. Man, you must live in some crazy hellhole if you think this is a soothing environment. <laughs> nah, man, I appreciate you saying that. I hope you live in an awesome place. And Megan, you're super nice, man. Amazing content. Diversified Income Podcast does such a great job covering a variety of topics, blah, blah, blah. You're super nice. And Les are super helpful and easy to follow along with, informational and easy to follow for beginners, man. So listen, go ahead and, and leave me some nice comments and I will read them on this podcast and give a shout out to you all. Or, you know, you can always just reach me at harry at dinkpie.com, harry at dinkpie.com, D-I-N-C-P-I-E. And also a special shout out to uh, my buddy, Jason Wallsmith. Jason, I know you listen to this podcast once in a while. Jason has just introduced a new a new album, man. He's got a whole new recording. So go check him out and go download, go download his music. He plays some really great stuff, man. He's a super talented musician and incredible guitarist, and he's got some wicked vocals as well. So go check, go check him out, man. I this unbelievable, you know, the people that I meet through the podcast and some of these different businesses and whatever. Y'all got some mad skills. I know, I know I'm always making funny and stuff, but that's just because you can't really reply to me. <laughs> this, is one, this is a one-way program. Anyway, you, there's a lot of people out there with some really, really mad skills. And listen, in another week, I want you to know, stay tuned because I'm going to give you an update on the, on the laundromats because my laundromats are kicking ass. And if you remember, I, I shared what our estimates were for 2021, and I'm proud to tell you we're way, way ahead of plan and for... For the month of October, just as an example, we did over $120,000 in the three the three laundromats. Uh, well above plan and making some dough. It's good to see those in the black. And uh, let's talk about pod, let's, <laughs> podcasts. Let's talk about laundromats some other time because today we're talking about trucking. Here's the update, guys. So we launched this business, and I won't go back and, and, and read you all the details of the, of the history of this. But let me tell you about the trucking industry because some of these stats, uh, you know, you start to pay attention to once you're actually in the business. 
We're currently 80,000 drivers short in our transportation industry, the truckers out there. We're 80,000 drivers short. A couple years ago, we were 61,000 drivers short. And the estimate is that by the year 2028, we're going to be 160,000 drivers short. Now that, that, that is amazing. And what you should also know from that is when you're short on drivers, it's supply and demand, right? The, the, the amount that you can charge for a load is going to increase dramatically, will continue to go up and that's going to drive up inflation, right? So that if it costs more to get the products delivered, what do you think that the, the companies just eat it? No, it get passed on to us, the consumers, and it's, it's going to drive inflation. So I, I think we ought to know that this is what I would consider almost a national emergency, right? We have a supply chain bottleneck, lots of them. One of them's from the drivers. It's going to get worse. Okay. And so here's a citing from a study from, let's see, and if uh, with a need to hire over a million drivers over the next decade to replace the retiring truck drivers, it's going to be one of the largest factors. So that that's from a study September 24th of 21, right? So this is a month ago. And they were expecting that we need to hire a million drivers over the next decade just to keep up. That's 100,000 a year, and we're already 80,000 behind. So hang on to your seats, man. Let me tell you, there's a big opportunity buried in here as well. We'll talk about that in a bit. What do you think our government is doing to help us out? I can tell you haven't going through this process, whether you like the government or not, it's not helpful in this process, right? We're paying attention to what your stupid ass pronouns are. And in the meantime, the Chinese are ramping up, <laughs> kick our ass. And, and we, don't have enough, we don't have enough drivers and the government's not focused on helping us solve this problem. And what they can be doing to help solve the problem is... And it's managing the regulatory environment, right? That's what they do. And if they will also put some money behind instead of spending on, you know, some of the stuff they spend on. Oh, man. They get me started. Okay, I'm moving on. Listen, instead of spending money on some of the stuff where we do spend, like let's, let's spend to create training programs sponsored by the government or at least partially, maybe partially paid by the government. I don't care. And to, to solve this problem, because we're we're headed over the falls, man. This is the the rapids are picking up, and they're gonna they're gonna end up over the falls because we got a big shortage. And instead of increasing regulation, listen, I'm not talking about decreasing safety. That is a primary concern, but it doesn't require regulation. Regulation is there to create funds for the government to go spend on stupid woke programs that create nothing except socialism and chaos. Defund the police. Are you freaking kidding me? Okay, moving on to trucking. <laughs> We're in our fourth week of hauling. And here's what's happened, man. The first week we did 3300 bucks in revenue. And that's because my driver was new. He got a late start because we were working on the speedometer problem. And, you know, he's trying to figure it out. The second week, though, he did 8300 bucks. That's $8,300 in revenue. And that's the second week. Like, so he's still figuring it out. And remember, this guy, we, we, we hired out a, a Craigslist ad that I posted. And he, you know, he's a great guy. He went and got his permit. Then we paid for his CDLs, commercial driver's license, class A, and then sent him out on the road. And uh, this week, this week, I'm happy to tell you that he's teamed up with another driver that was supplied by my dispatcher and they're, they're, they're riding kind of in tandem. So, you know, a little mini convoy and the other driver's also driving a flatbed and is going to be able to help him out, you know, show him, show him the ropes, so to speak. So the first week did 3700 bucks. The next week you did 8300. Last week we did a little over $7300 and now we're out on a two week journey. The regular routine is to you know just do a one week cycle. But we're going to do a two week deal here to kind of catch up on the revenue a little bit and get our driver 
trained up uh, with the dude that he's rolling with in their mini convoy. So that is really, really powerful. And the reason I have the ability to, to make this little convoy happen is because my dispatcher is is dispatching for a number of companies and said, listen, I got another flatbed driver. He does the same loop. I'll just get two loads out of every place. You guys can roll together. And the driver that's been around for a long time can can teach my new driver, you know, all the things on the road. Because one of the things we learned on the road is your shit's going to get stolen at the truck stops. So make sure you got plenty of lights on your truck that are motion activated, put cameras back there and uh, do things that prevent people from stealing your shit. Now, one of the things you got to do is it's just, you know, it's just experience. Like you can't strap down some of the stuff that we strap down to the flatbed with with just regular straps, like ratchet straps. That stuff needs to be chained down. The things that are going to stay on the flatbed bed, chain those down overnight. Otherwise, someone's going to cut your straps, which they did to us, which are expensive to replace, and then stole all of the tarps. That's what was that's what was strapped down the tarps, because a lot of these loads. Remember, you got to strap them down. You got to put straps on them, and some of them also require that you put tarps over the top keep them from getting wet. Okay. So that, that kind of stuff got stolen. We're going to talk about the financials here in a second. And, and those are some things for you to know. Okay. So I've also had a lot of expenses and we're October. We lost $4,000, you know, in October, we actually generated revenue as well. I'm going to walk you through both the revenue and the expense here in a second. But some of these expenses are because I've had to replace my toolboxes on the truck. I've had to pay to have them moved from the 48 foot trailer to the new 53 foot trailer. I had a bunch of fixes that I had to get made to the truck. We had leaks in the air hose. You probably don't want that, man, because these are, these are air brakes. So you can't have you having leaks in the air system or you have no brakes. So we got all that fixed. Got the speedometer fixed. Finally, supposedly knocking on wood here. Um, got the DOT inspection done and the governor changed. The governor is what controls your speed. And it was set to low, uh, even below the speed limit. So we got that adjusted for our driver. So we can make a little better time, not trying to speed or cause any safety uh, any safety concerns, but we, we got all that stuff taken care of. Okay, but those things all cost money and they take time. And and that's a compounding effect. Like if the truck can't be on the road starting on Monday, that's that's a day out of the route and that is real revenue. And then during that day, instead of generating revenue, you're creating expense. So what I would recommend for folks that are looking at trucks you can never do enough due diligence on these trucks. Like before you buy it, take the time, get it to a diesel mechanic and have a full inspection done and someone drive it 100 miles so you know what the heck is going on with this vehicle, right? We figured out the first 100 miles that our speedometer doesn't work, for instance, right? So you want to get that stuff checked. The second thing is think long and hard about just getting a brand new truck. Now, I looked the other day on the Tesla website and the Tesla, it's called Semi. <laughs> Tesla, man, they got some brilliant naming. They call their new truck they just call it semi. You can buy the Tesla semi with a 500 mile range, right? That's pretty good. You got to figure out where the charging stations are, but you know, that's, that's going to take you, it's going to take you a number of hours to be able to, to drive 500 miles. You get to the charging station and it takes, I don't know, a couple hours to charge. And then uh, you can get back on the road and there's no, there's no fuel expense, right? You got to, it's like $15 to charge your batteries to full, as opposed to several hundred dollars to charge you know, fill your gas tanks. So the operating cost of all these electrical vehicles is way less as well because there's just fewer moving parts. There's like 2,500 moving parts in a in a in a standard automobile and like 300 moving parts in an electric vehicle. It's something like that, right? It's an order of magnitude different. So think about the number of things that fail. Pretty low operating expense, 
and maintenance expense. So I'm looking into that truck. It's $180,000. Um, they're not going to start releasing them until 2022. So I'm not in a big rush, but I think I will buy a new truck one way or the other, whether it's a Tesla semi or just a brand new Cascadia 125 and uh, get it with, you know, brand new factory warranty, the whole, you know, the whole shooting match, because this is a little bit maddening and you want to have a good rig for your drivers because that's right. There's a shortage. All right, let's run through the numbers here real fast, and then we'll wrap this thing up, man. We did $11,257 of, of revenue in the month of October. And I think that's actually a little bit short because it doesn't have all of last week's revenue. Maybe that just hadn't been recorded yet when we, when we, when we published October's financials. I think it is a little short because we did $3,700 one week, $8,300, and then $7,300, and that was all in October. So we probably, that's, that's closer to $19,000. So I'll have to check with the bookkeeper, Dan, and figure out what's up with that. But we had truck supplies for 4377 bucks. right? These are new tools to replace the shit that got stolen. Toolboxes that got delivered and then were stolen. And then it's just the rest of the tools that we actually need in the truck supplies, including the stuff that the driver needed, like a mattress, a refrigerator, a microwave, an inverter, a Garmin, for the GPS unit that goes with the electronic data log. We spent 2700 bucks roughly in fuel. We spent uh, another little over $2,700 in wages, $2,200 in insurance, $2,200 in insurance, man. So we spend 18,000 a year to insure the truck with the driver. That's just, you know, you get in a crash. But then we also have workers comp, right? And we need to have that because you got to have it six grand a year, but, one thing that my driver told me after the second week is, holy crap, this is a hard job. It's not just driving. You know, you got to get the loads situated correctly. You got to strap them down. So it's a very physical job. So we've got workers comp that makes up the insurance piece. And then professional services, we, you know, and legal fees and bookkeeping and, and whatnot, we spent over 2700 bucks as well. That number is going to come down every month. So were the truck supplies and the revenue is going to go up. We spent 900 bucks on the dispatcher and 500 bucks on factoring. Now, factoring, if you're unfamiliar with this, I'll tell you, if you run any business where you have accounts receivable, right? You send an invoice to somebody and you're waiting for them to pay you, it is a pain in the ass and you're going to spend a lot of time chasing down the money. So uh, we work with a factoring organization and they charge us, I don't know, like 4% of our revenue, but they pay us the next day uh, as long as we're working with you know, the load providers that, that they that they know of and, and are working with. And that's all part of what the dispatcher does. It's very well coordinated, but it costs us $500 for the month of October. And that's to get our money paid on time that we aren't chasing people with, you know, net 30, that then they end up paying in 60 days and whatever. In the meantime, you're trying to, you're trying to run a business, right? So anyway, th those are our, our revenue and expenses. That's a total of $16,000 in expenses on $11,257 of revenue. So we lost money. We lost 4,000 bucks. And uh, we're going to keep getting better at this, and I'm going to keep sharing the data with you. Now, before I go, I promised you I was going to share with you an idea. This is a way to make a million dollars, I'm not kidding you, in 2022. So there's a dramatic, dramatic shortage of drivers. You guys know if you were listening to these episodes prior, because we we spent from May through October <laughs> to get a driver, right? That's that's straight up legit. That's a long time looking for a driver. And when you're a young company and you got one or two trucks, maybe three or five, you're still a little company. And the two things that are going to get in the way of you making money is one, your truck goes down with maintenance or two, you don't have a driver. If you don't have a driver, that truck just sits there. It's over. And all of these expensive, think about these things that are, are fixed, fixed fees, insurance at 2,200 bucks a month, man. 
you, you know, you got a lot of expenses that no revenue are just going to, they're going to, they're going to bone you dry. Bone you dry? Is that even a saying? Okay. So here's the idea, man. Source and train drivers. If you can find a way to develop an apprentice program or even just a sourcing program where you get people interested in the opportunity to make 75,000 bucks a year. Well, Keith, how do you get 75,000 bucks a year? Well, here's the deal, man. If you're an over-the-road trucker, that means you're doing long-haul driving. You're going to make 50 to 55 cents a mile right? as an employee. I'm talking about benefits or anything else yet. You're gonna, that's what you're going to make, 55 cents a mile. And if you're driving, driving 3,000 miles a week, right? because that's what we're doing right now, 3,000 miles a week times 0. 0.55, that's 1,650 bucks times 52 weeks a year. That's $85,000 a year, man. So let's say you don't, you don't, you don't work 52 weeks a year. You got to take a little bit of time off. So let's say you make $70,000 a year. And to be a driver, you have to be 21 years old. So let's say you went to you know, a trade school or you went to a community college or you posted ads for folks that were coming out of the military or, you know, there's lots and lots of places use a little creativity and you said, Hey, I've got a path for you to make, you know, up to $85,000 a year and probably more because we also have a, a bonus system built in for our driver. Our driver over the next couple of years can make 70 cents a mile. And so think about that, man. Now you're talking about a hundred grand a year and you put someone on a, on a path you tell you got to screen folks. You got to know how to recruit and read, read people and get the right folks. But if you can source and train people, then you can sell those resources to, to trucking operations like ours. Now, someone said, listen, I'll get you a driver. I'll get you a driver this week instead of waiting five months for, you know, for me to source my own driver. Someone said, listen, I'll get you a driver this week. It's 20 grand, right? Your truck costs you 60, your trailer costs you 40, your driver costs you 20, right? These are just, this is a cost of getting started. And you just build it into your model. And the 20,000 bucks and you get yourself a driver, dude, I'm telling you, imagine this, right? Let's say, let's say you were able to place 10 drivers, right? So first year, first few months, let's just say you, you find a path where you got a good source of candidates, the smart folks, reliable, like you get, you got to find the right people, right? No, no doubt about it. You got to find the right people. And, and then you pay for them to go to driving school. So you've done a background check, you've totally vetted them, you send them to driving school, they graduate in two or three weeks. Driving school is going to cost you 3750 bucks if you send one guy. If you're sending everybody to the same driving school and you tell them, listen, I'm going to bring 10 people a month into your driving school, you're going to get a great deal. But let's say you don't. Let's just say you're paying 3750 That's what we paid to put our driver through school. Let's just say that becomes the rate that you got to pay. You're not doing the training. You're just finding candidates. You run them through the training, make sure they graduate. And then they come out the other end and they have a guaranteed job. And if you told companies, listen, it costs 20000 bucks, and I'm going to get you a driver. You tell me you want somebody, I'll give you somebody in three weeks. And because that's the time it's going to take them to get the permit and then go to the driving school. 20000 bucks. Tell them it's 30000 right? They just got to build it into the model. And let's just say it's 20000 bucks. Let's say you source 10 of those guys next year. That's 200000 bucks. That's $200,000, man. Let's say you source 50 of them. There you go, man. That's a million dollars that you can earn you got to pay for the driving school, and I'm, that's what is that? A hundred fifty thousand? Oh, sorry, so we only made eight fifty. A tear running down my leg for you, really. This is totally one hundred percent, a hundred million percent practical. There's, <laughs> if you can find a source for these resources, I mean, a, a source to get good candidates. I'm telling you, like coming out of the military, what better source is that? Guys looking for great jobs that have great skill sets that are highly trained, super disciplined, reliable. And, you know, show up to work and are going to do this for, for years on end. That's you, you can sell them 
you know, I'm not selling, sounds weird, man, but these are resources, right? If you're a headhunter, you tell people, listen, I, I provide the, the staff that you need and the cost to do that's 20 grand. It's a standard, it's a standard sourcing model. And you only have to source 50 people next year into the trucking business. You make a million bucks. So then get yourself a couple recruiters and each of those recruiters are responsible for sourcing 25 people into the program. And the next year you're not even working. Those people are doing all the sourcing. Tell them you got to do 50. <laughs> you make $2 million. Yeah, you got to pay them something. So maybe you make a million and a half. I'm fucking crying for you. Holy smokes. How many ideas do I got to give you guys? Get the hell out of your stupid corporate jobs. I'm also going to have my buddy on the show. He's a 30-year corporate warrior. Great dude, man. He's telling me the other day we were hunting together. He said, man, I was walking into my office at my house for another conference call. Dude, I almost had a tear in my eye wondering, what have I done for 30 years? Like, I'm watching you and these other people I know that are entrepreneurs and and you have so much passion for life and for what you do. I don't, you know, it's a corporate guy. So anyway, we're gonna have him on the show as well. But listen, that's the update on the trucking business. I hope you found that interesting and enjoyable. And let me tell you something else, peeps. Two things. One, I want to tell you three things. One, leave me a review or send me an email, right? I really love hearing from you. And um, leave me a good review. Don't waste my time or your time to leave some stupid ass review. Like that's just dumb. Give me a five-star review, say something nice, or better yet, send me an email, harry at dinkpie.com. And if you're cool with it, I'll share your name and, and information, you know, what you said on the show. I think that's cool. The second thing is laundromats make money. You know what? Hashtag everyone loves laundromats. That's from my friend, Emma. She always says that. And you know why? Hashtag everyone loves the laundromats because laundromats make money. And I'm going to share more about that on an upcoming show. And the third thing I'm going to tell you is today is a day that the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. I don't care whether you like the Bible or anything else, religion, like whoever your God is, somebody made the day out there. What are you going to do in this day? Like today is a day, man. You can do anything. You can sit around the couch. It's your day. Do anything you want. You can complain about your job. You can spend all day complaining about all kinds of stuff. Or you can approach life with a great big smile and be grateful for everything you got going on. And in addition to that, you can also decide, you know what? I'm going to go do something. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to make myself better. And I hope, I hope you do. I hope you spend a little bit of time when you hear this, you just think to yourself, all right, man, so what would make me 1% better today? Just 1%. It's not asking for very much. Well, how about a half a percent? Right? Maybe go home, you actually start taking your Spanish lessons again, or you go home and you learn how to play that song on the piano or the guitar or your flute or whatever you're doing, man, go do it. And uh, maybe you just feel better if you called your mom because it's been two weeks and you haven't talked to her. And uh, you need to do that. All right. So listen, man, take a little time right now. I'm going to let you go. Peace be with you all. God bless you. When you're sick, every minute counts. So don't go anywhere. Go to DispatchHealth.com where high-quality medical care comes directly to you. No getting out of a sick bed. No crazy driving to an emergency room. No endless paperwork. No hospital waiting rooms. Visit DispatchHealth.com to learn about our medical professionals, then make house calls. 
Dispatch Health is covered by Medicare and most major insurance. Go to DispatchHealth.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. Please be advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.